This is my wife Tiffany Brown. She's here with me today to talk a little bit about what makes kids the way they are, which I guess is appropriate since we made like six kids together. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about the differences between them and how that, uh, what that means about kids and parenting and teaching. And anytime you're working with kids, it's good to know a little bit about this stuff and how it works here. So, do you want to say anything? Before nope. we move on here, maybe nope. just a little bit of something. Maybe Master Uwe wants to say something here. I don't know, but he's sneaking in. Yes, he's very, very sneaky. So, do you want to turn off your phone? Turn off my phone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm keeping track of my children. That's how I have my phone. Oh yes, very good. That's uh, we approve of that. Keeping track of your children here on Jeff Brown's classroom. We're very children conscious. <laughs> okay, so uh, first of all, I want to start off with a clip from Lego Batman that we can talk about here. So I'm going to play it here. That Phantom Zone projector, do exactly as I say. 10 4. Okay, jump. Do a front flip. Do a back flip. Run, 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 run. Drop. That's an excellent listening. You're right. I am super proud of myself for being such a good teacher obviously all right so those of you who are listening that was uh batman telling robin what to do robin was doing exactly what he said and then when robin did it he obviously praised himself so do you feel like sometimes parents or teachers feel like that's what parenting is about is telling kids what to do when they do it yeah <laughs> <laughs> it seems like that's what we think it is so, is that how it really is, though? Like, uh, how does that relate to what it's really like? Um, I think, I feel like we always get questioned. So, there's more to it. So, they don't always, kids do not always want to just do what they're told to do. Just because you said to do it. So. Like, how often do they want to just do stuff because you told them to do it? Um. I think that they, first of all, they have to know why they're doing it. So they might question you first. Yeah. Like, for instance, now when I say empty the dishwasher, they will go empty the dishwasher. But they know that that's because that's their chore and their responsibility. Yeah. But initially, if you just say, go empty the dishwasher, they might be like, why? Yeah. Why don't you empty the dishwasher? It's no, big. I'm not going to do it. Yes. Right. So the second part there, the, so oftentimes we think parenting is telling kids what to do, and if they do it, then that means we're being a good parent. And oftentimes I feel like it's hard as a parent to separate the motivation of doing what is best for kids versus making yourself feel like a good parent. Do you feel like that can be tricky sometimes? Um, yeah. I don't feel like I'm ever a good parent, which is really sad, but I feel like if you're, like if my kid is following the path that I like see in my mind is the right path, then yeah, I feel better about it. Like personally, I do. I will feel better about it. And then if they decide that they want to go off here and I'm like, oh, why did they do that? What did I do wrong? Or what did I say wrong? Then I start to feel like I didn't do something right. So yeah, I put a lot of my, how good am I a parent on what they decide to do, which it's not necessarily my responsibility all the way because they do have their choices. So first of all, everybody should know she's a very good parent, 
But let's talk about um, that for a second, why you feel like you're not a good parent or why you never do. And second of all, um, how is it that wanting to feel like a good parent can sometimes get in the way of being a good parent? I So first question. Yeah. I don't know why I don't ever, ever feel like a good parent. I guess because I always think that I could have done something better. Like I could have done it differently or done it better. Um, but that's just kind of my life. And, well, perfectionism. We'll get to perfectionism in another podcast in the future here. Uh, the second... As I say about perfectionism is if you're a perfectionist, then get used to disappointment. But again, that's another podcast. Lower your expectations. <laughs> 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 can always do something better, right? Right. Well, I mean, I guess we could always, always say that, right? Exactly. Do something better. Um, the second question was, remind me. Uh, how can wanting to be like, feel like a good parent actually get in the way of doing what is the right thing for kids sometimes? Um, I think that's easy because... <laughs> Because I'm, like, as a parent, I'd be so stuck on this being the only, or the best. Maybe this is the best choice. This is the best way. This is the pace, This is the way I really want you to choose and go. And I already have my mindset on that. Then for them to choose something different, um, then it might, like, crush me, or I think it's totally wrong. Or then, and then I don't have, they don't have my support necessarily, when they may need my support and my help to follow that yeah yeah i agree i think sometimes that when we we think that being a good parent means them doing what we say then oftentimes that can lead to (coughs) dark side tactics which we talked about in my last two podcasts here which is sometimes we have conditional love for them because we're disappointed because we feel like bad parents because they didn't do what we said and that makes us feel unlike batman like we're such good teachers because they took a different path. Do you feel like that's ever kind of what happens sometimes? Yeah, which is really sad because they they need to grow up and make their own decisions. I mean, we guide them. Like, you can't just, like, maybe let your seven-year-old decide what they're, you know, certain things that they're going to do, like that they're going to go drive the car or something. Um, you know, it's age-appropriate. Yeah. But as a parent, like, age-appropriate, how do we help and guide them without expecting them to do exactly what we think they should do. Yeah. Right? I don't know. Well, again, that's what we're talking about. With the Batman thing there is we think that parenting or teaching is us telling them stuff, them doing excellent listening and following that, and then if they do that, then that means we're good teachers. And that's what we want to feel when we're doing that rather than other stuff. Well, I think you also, as a parent, like you might see other kids, like, like maybe your friend's kids, like looking like they do exactly what their parents say or they're, you know, and then you compare yourself and you think that, well, how come their kids do what they say? Yeah. How come my kids fight against me? What am I doing wrong? Yeah. Okay. And that's actually a good segue into what we're going to be talking about here, which is why it's useless to compare your kids to other kids and also your own kids to your own other kids. That sounds kind of confusing, but... Why do you think that is useless, first of all, before we get into some of the reasons before that? Well, that's horrible because 
like I've seen my kids who think that I'm comparing them to each other and then them feeling inferior to another one or they feel like they're not as good as because they do things differently when I'm not really trying to compare them because I think they're all individuals but it's kind of I almost feels like it's an innate thing that we compare ourselves so my own kids will compare themselves to each other or think that mom likes him better because he listens more or something like that yeah or he made this choice that I didn't make so she likes him better yeah um which I don't want him to feel that way. I want him to totally feel that I love them all uniquely. But I think that we just kind of do that. Like, I think I did that with my sisters. Compared myself to my sisters and, you know, thinking that they were better and that my parents liked them better or whatever. Yeah. So, so if you had to rank you all your that. kids based on favorite to least favorite, <laughs> should we go through that now? <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> There's no way. I'm totally just kidding. <laughs> Kids, we do not have favorites at all. No. So, uh, all right. So, um, let's go a little bit deeper into the also. It's just um, trying. You, you say that you love them all as individuals, and this podcast is a little bit about what makes kids individuals, what makes them the way they are, and a lot about the nature versus nurture stuff here. So, um, whoops, hold on. Okay. So you and I have talked a little bit about nature versus nurture in the past. In fact, about a week ago, we had an argument with our son, Jensen, who loves to argue, by the way. Um, Especially about this topic. About, yes, this is one of his favorite topics to argue about. <laughs> Ever since he had psychology with his awesome psychology teacher, Miss Bryant, by the way, hopefully you hear this one time, uh, he uh, loves to bring up whether it's nature versus nurture, and uh, it leads to some interesting discussion. So... Uh, we talked about um, we talked about some of the studies, but no. What are you doing? Do you remember? <laughs> do you, a little man is uh, jumping up. He wants to be part of the podcast. So, do you remember kind of what the mix of nature versus nurture and a lot of the studies are and things like that that we talked about? It's around fifty percent. Around fifty percent. Fifty percent ish. So like varying a little know, bit from below fifty and a little bit above fifty um, for each one. Yeah. So um, let's go through that really quickly for the uh, audience here. Um, um, what they found, actually, based on some studies, which I'll explain here in a, in a little bit here, which is that there are four traits that they've really studied a lot on the nature versus nurture. They call this the big four. And they found that, um, like, openness, which is how creative, imaginary, and open to new ideas you are, is about 57% genetic. So there's a pretty high genetic component to that which leaves 43% for, um, for environment and also choice factors and other stuff that's harder to measure. Okay. Well, could that be like your opportunities too? Yeah, like 43%. that's your environment, exactly, which is your uh, opportunity and your training and your teaching and all that kind of stuff. So uh, do you feel like there's, uh, like looking at our own six kids here, we have six kids, by the way, ranging from age 24 all the way down 25. to... 25, she turned 25 <laughs> three, three months ago. I always forget. Uh, but she always forgets too, so that's okay. So um, 25 to 8. 25 to 8. Yeah, this is eight. And we have a wide mix of personality traits and stuff like that. Our oldest child is also autistic as well. And we also have an ADHD kid and some other kids who are somewhere in there also. And uh, 
issues. And likely they got that stuff from me because I'm pretty autistic also. So, but that's a whole nother podcast as well. But in any case here, um, uh, looking at our six kids, would you feel like there's a pretty big difference or they're pretty similar or what? Even though they come from the same gene pool of you and me. Hmm. Uh, that's a good question. Imagining open to new ideas you are. A creative imagining open. They come from the same gene pool. I don't, their creativity and imagination It's kind of hard to measure, right? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. It's different. Every one of them is different. All right. Let's go from a different uh, standpoint here. Conscientiousness. This is a little bit easier to see. How organized and detailed oriented you are as uh, is 49% genetic according to the studies. Hmm. So is there a pretty big range of how conscientious our kids are? Yeah. Organization, you can almost just look at the rooms to see the differences, right? Yeah. Like Felicity, our eight-year-old, likes a nice organized room. Very detail-oriented. And Spencer, uh, where they were sharing a room before, they like having separate rooms now. Well, Felicity does, mainly because she likes to keep her room organized. She says Spencer's room is always messy. Spencer is always messy. So even within our gene pool, there's still a variation of uh, what genes they got. from. And between you and me, there's a big difference also. Right? Yes. I'm the conscientious one. Ha, and ha. Tiffany <laughs> is the total messy one. <laughs> Whatever. I am more detail-oriented, I would have to say. Okay, yes. I am not the conscientious one. I'm totally uh, the... Uh... So I know where all the dishes go in the kitchen. And even though we've had the same kitchen for... Well, we well, had we the had, same we kitchen. kitchen. We just changed summer. the kitchen recently. <laughs> but we had the same kitchen for like 26 years. And still... Well, I'd forget where stuff always would forget where stuff went. I just, yeah. So I'd, I have to put trackers on all my... I just recently, for Christmas, got a bunch of trackers so I could track all my devices. Which reminds me, do you have one on Oogway? I, I do not. Actually, I usually put a tracker on Master Oogway also when we let him go, but he's over there rummaging through my stuff over there. Oh, okay. So... He gets lost sometimes. Let's just say I'm not the most conscientious person. So between us, creating six kids, you're going to get a wide range depending on how much of their genes they got from what and what's the mix going to be as well. So now here's where it gets to the interesting thing. So is it really useful to compare Spencer to Felicity and say to Spencer, why aren't you as conscientious and detail-oriented as Felicity is? Absolutely not. Why not? For our audience here. Um, I would say because you're definitely going to have different, you'll have different skills and talents. And maybe that's not his strongest suit, but he'll have something else that he does well. Yeah. So it's, it's just not very helpful, partly because we might think that they are choosing to this way, but that's, there's more that goes into what makes them the way they are, even if they're siblings. And it's even less so if they're not siblings, right? There's a big, wider range of genetic variation. So comparing Spencer or Felicity to somebody else's kids, what's the usefulness of that? There's no usefulness. No. Because everybody is, is different. They start with different things. I feel bad now thinking that that's not a bad thing that Spencer's room is messier than Felicity's. He just, just keeps his organized in a different way. <laughs> Unless... It's just a fact like... <laughs> Like a less clean way. 
but organized. <laughs> he says it's organized, so it's organized to his specifications. Yeah, well, that's what I like to say also. So Tiffany used to have a hard time coming to my classroom because she'd be like, see all the piles and stuff like that, which I've actually gotten better at that. But uh, yeah. So you have less paper. My dad, yeah, I have to go to a non-paper system here. So my dad used to always make fun of my uh, uh, notebook that I had in college. I think he took a picture of it. We have a picture of it. I mean, from, I think it's in the scrapbook from high school. It's basically just tons of papers all thrown into a three-ring binder. None of them in the binder, but just in there. And Which some of our kids, their binders look like that. Yes. Which is a very ADHD trait. And <laughs> we do have that going on in our house also. So, all right. So conscientiousness. Let's go to the next one, which is extroversion. Is how you relate to people and how outgoing you are. So it's kind of how outgoing versus how shy you are. What would you say about differences in our kids for that? I feel like we almost have half and half, like almost three and three with like more outgoing. Yeah. Like I feel like there's three of them that are more outgoing. Okay. And there's three of them that are just definitely not as outgoing. Don't you think? Uh, Can you picture them? Yeah, probably. I'm putting Ammon in the more outgoing. Yeah, yeah, I got that. <laughs> so we got Ammon, who is our 19 year old, and then we've got, he's almost 20. And then we have, uh, uh, we put Emmeline in there, who's 17 years old. She's a social butterfly. She's very, uh, yeah. She likes to be social. Now, interestingly enough, she hasn't always been that way, right? Well, she has some social anxiety, so that she knows sometimes it's hard for her to maybe get out and do it, but then she always has a great time and enjoys it. Well, what I mean is when she was in middle school, in ninth grade, she was very different in that way, right? Yeah. Actually, because she was. she was quite a bit more shy. She yeah. didn't really have much friends that time. Mm -hmm. um, so what changed is the environment, the environment changed, changed, which is she started taking anti-anxiety medication. And no, it was just like getting involved in high school stuff, really. Well, that, well, she right. also says it was the medication that made a big difference for her. Oh, I thought she started that later. So, nope, that was right around... Sophomore? Sophomore year. Somewhere around then. I had uh, one of his one of her teachers, Mr. Abbott, great teacher also at Rampart as well, uh, said this is amazing to see how much she's come out of her shell. And uh, uh, Emmeline herself told me that she attributes <laughs> part of that is to getting on anti-anxiety medication. So it kind of helped her overcome that. And, and, and genes actually express themselves differently depending on the environment as well. So the environment will affect the expression of genes. So, but then we also have some kids who are extremely uh, shy. Uh, Felicity is definitely one of the outgoing one. Um, so she's very, she likes to have friends. She likes she to go to school. She needs a play date every day. She loves school. She loves people. Yeah. She's super fun. And then there's Spencer who has one, sometimes two friends that he likes to, that he feels comfortable with. Uh, we've got Jensen who's just really quiet. And then we have Geneva who's autistic and socializing just is kind of draining to her so she really likes certain environments that like D D. she likes to play dungeons and dragons which is oftentimes a really good environment for autistics and whoever else likes it but is structured and helps her feel more comfortable so that she can socialize so so again yeah within our own gene pool and between you and me right mm -hmm. there's a big difference very um, big difference i'm very social and tiffany Let's just stay home with the dog all the time. Totally opposite. <laughs> I'm the one that always wants to go out and do stuff. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, and yes, I'm the dog person, which is funny that the dog is That's, sitting on her yes, lap right now. Yes, because I'm not the dog person. 
<laughs> so I like dogs because they give me uh, companionship without the feeling of anxiety being around humans. And so that's a whole other thing also. So uh, agreeableness. How you are working with others and how easygoing you are. That's 42%. Okay, so that's a little bit less mm -hmm. genetic than the others, but still pretty close to 50%. So I don't know that we necessarily need to go along those lines there. We might have some upset kids if we start comparing how agreeable they are. <laughs> and eroticism. Wait, how many is that? Four or five? <laughs> so there's openness. One, two, three, four, five. So that's five. Five traits. Big five, not big four. I totally forgot that. So oh. neuroticism, which is how much worry and how much emo how emotionally stable you are. And that's about 48% genetic. And I don't think we need to compare kids on how neurotic they are necessarily either. <laughs> but let's just say that uh, our family does have... Uh, uh, a gene pool that comes from some anxiety and uh, social anxiety and stuff like that. So, so uh, they say about happiness itself is around 50% genetic, which is kind of goes along with this here. So, all right. So that goes to the question is how did they find out? Like, where did they come up with these numbers? Like, it looks like, you know, 48% that seems oddly specific. Like, did they just make that up? And the answer is yes, they did. They just made it up. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't make that up. <laughs> <laughs> that would just be silly. Uh, they did not make that up. So how did they do that? So let me show you a little bit how they do that. Actually, I need to skip ahead and then we'll come back to these here. So um, is has a little bit to do with um, twin studies, actually. Okay. And uh, what they do is they compare twins with fraternal twins to see how much uh, uh, more similar identical twins are to... Um, are to their fraternal twin components. Professors James Fowler and Tim Spector have split the twins. Identicals on the left, non-identicals on the right. A blue card means the twins share the same opinion. A yellow one means they don't. The way the classic twin study works is we compare identical twins who share 100% of their genes to fraternal twins who share about 50% of their genes on average. And if those twins come from similar environments, then what that suggests is that if the identical twins are more similar than the fraternal twins, then the genes are playing a role in whatever it is that we're looking at. Are you within 10 kilos in weight of each other? What we want to find out in this experiment is whether the identical twins on the left are showing us more blue signs, meaning they're both agreeing at the same time, or on the right side, we expect to see more yellows because we'd expect to see more disagreement. Thank you very much. Surprisingly, they're finding that genes play a part in some fundamental areas of our behavior. Do you support the same political party as your twin? Yes. Controversial. Do you support the same political party as your twin? Thank you very much. So anyways, for those of you who are listening out there, this is comes from twin studies where they're comparing identical twins with fraternal twins. And they want to see if there is more agreement between identical twins versus fraternal twins. And as we can see, there is some differences in a lot of very surprising aspects of personality. For instance, what political party that you support, they found that is genetically related. 
or even if you're a religious person or not that is actually genetically related as well. So there's a lot of surprising things about what makes us the way we are and that's kind of where they get those numbers 42%, 47%, 52%. They get it from studies like this. Now every once in a while they get a very interesting study where they get separated twins. Now that's more rare because you can't do that on purpose because that's not very ethical. But sometimes they find separated twins and they are able to tell that uh, there is some similarities between them also. So let me actually just show a quick segment here with that um, uh, about that kind of show these two girls that were separated at um, pretty close to birth in China and one ended up in uh, America in Sacramento and another ended up in I think it's Norway I can't remember so I'll show you just a clip from that. How old are you guys? Six. The families yeah. have been joined by Dr. Nancy Siegel a world expert in twins raised apart. Hold your arms out. Yeah good idea. I'm interested in Mia and Alexandra for a number of reasons. They are identical twins, the same genes, in totally different like environments. To like this gives us an ideal opportunity to see the extent to which genes underlie behavioral and physical and medical characteristics. So Mia and Alexandra, just by being raised apart, are a wonderful natural experiment. Oh, Alexandra, you look beautiful. Dr. Siegel has studied a number of twins who met as adults, but this is her first opportunity to observe separated twins as they grow up. So do you guys have any other brothers or sisters? Um, I have a big brother. Uh-huh. And how about you? Do you have any other brothers or sisters? I have a sister. Yeah, yeah you do. Isn't that great? <laughs> Two sisters. Michelle and my Hi, you guys. Nice to meet you, sisters. Here's a great scientific experiment. These two were raised apart, but Alexandra was raised with two sisters. Yes. And how similar is she to her two sisters? Oh, she will pick up some something from them. Uh-huh. And learn, of course, uh, some um, behavior. Uh-huh. But uh, when I see them now, they are more alike than she will be alike. Yes, her sisters at home. Yeah. So that video that we just watched, you can see that even though the kids uh, were separated at birth, that they were more alike each other than their siblings that they grew up with because of the genetic factor. So the genes actually play a stronger role than most people think, which is why I think it's it's pretty useless to compare your kids against each other because they have a different set of genes that's going to mean different things for them. And it's also very much useless to compare your kids against other kids. And all that stuff leads to harmful parenting practices also. So I want to talk a little bit about how some ideas that we may carry may affect the way that we parent also. And the fact that our kids are their own people, do their genes and their environment and what makes them them, changes these ideas if we truly understand them. So the first one is... I had a, a, another teacher, he retired a few years ago, his favorite phrase was ideas have consequences. And so we're going to talk about some of the consequences of these ideas right here. So the first one is that um, my child is an extension of me. So let's say if you have that idea, what, uh, what kind of consequences would that have for the way that you parent? Um... I feel like you would, you'd be way, really, really concerned on, like, what it looks like. Everything that they do, right? Like, what it looks like because it's reflecting on you. So, then you're, I don't know, I would feel like you wouldn't let them 
Um, be a little bit more controlling, maybe? Yeah, yeah, definitely be more controlling. Because you'd be like, you have to do it this way, or I'm going to look really bad. In a sense, our controlling of them would feel like just our controlling of ourselves. Like, we control ourselves, so we can control our kids also, because they're I, a part of me. I guess I was almost saying more of like, I don't know, maybe not an extension of me. An extension of me might be that you, like, try to live through them, too, right? Yeah, I can have that also. Like, if you're trying to live through them, then you're like, yeah, yeah, go out with that boy because, like, he's super cute. Or, you know, you might get too, like, into that or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that can happen also. Or kids who... Or go do this, do all these activities because I never got a chance to. Yeah. Maybe you push them to do too much. That could be also. Or that's where you get your typical stage parents or um, parents of kids that are really into dance or or, uh, club sports or any of those kind of things where... We feel like that um, we're living through them, in a sense, right? Okay. So next question is, how my child behaves is a perfect indicator of my ability to parent. If I have that idea... So that might have been more what I was answering initially, right? Okay. Well, like how I, I look, over like how I'll look to other people Yeah. is, it how, is like how my child behaves. Like I think that's acceptable behavior, then... I would feel good, right? Or yeah. if I feel like, yikes, don't do that. That looks bad. Now I look like a bad parent. Parent, then, I, then, it, then your love is conditional, really, right? Like yeah. you do what I want you to do, and then that, like we're pleased with our kids if they do what we want because that makes us feel good, right? Whereas, we need to, to give them support and love and help with what, whatever they're dealing with. Yeah. So and so we kind of have to give up that idea in order to, and also I think that affects how we see other parents and other kids, right? How does it affect how we look at other people? Well, yeah. If we're going to compare, if we're going to say how our kid acts is how good a parent we are, then then if we have that thought process, we're already saying that about other parents, right? Yeah. How their kid acts is how good a parent they are. And I think that leads to a lot of judgmentalness of other. Uh, I just made up that word, but uh, <laughs> of how we think about other parents by how their kids act if we see them uh crazy and all that kind of stuff we're like well my kids wouldn't do that or stuff like that we say like some people's kids you know like they're bad because of the way their kids are and that also i think really feeds the comparison where we compare our kids versus their kids because how are we supposed to judge ourselves as a parent unless we judge how our kids behave versus how other kids behave that leads to all kinds of Someone's home. That can, <laughs> that can lead to all kinds of unnecessary feelings of either feeling inferior or superior, which might be completely wrong, right? Yeah. In either way. Like, for instance, if a kid does, a hypothetical kid does all the things that you dream of as a kid, they grow up to be a doctor, they go to an Ivy League school, does that necessarily mean you've been a, par- a perfect parent? No. And if they don't, doesn't really either i mean no i mean i have kids that are doing really well in school i did a uh, um i did a workshop about two three months ago at my uh, school with the talented and gifted kids these kids do really well i asked them what their biggest fears were and what they saw as success their biggest fears were letting down their parents and the other thing was their biggest uh, thoughts of success were getting into the right school and getting a successful career and they felt like if they did that they wouldn't let their parents down because that was their biggest fears 
And uh, sometimes these kids carry these things even if parents don't put it on them. But a lot of times parents may unwittingly be putting these pressures on them by bringing honor to the family, so to speak. <laughs> uh, that's a phrase from Mulan, right? And I'm reading your shirt there. Dishonor. Right. Oh yeah. Dishonor right on you. Dishonor on your cow. Yeah. I got my shirt right now for those of you listening here, which is uh, uh, um, Mushu saying dishonor on you, right? So in Mulan, right, that's her whole pressure is to marry, right, so that she brings honor to the family, okay? And that's a lot of kids carry that pressure uh, because parents feel like that they're perfect parents if they are out of that. Okay, let's continue on here. So um, my... I'm a successful parent if a child stays in my religion. So, would that have a positive or a negative effect on the way we parent? I think definitely it'd have a negative effect. Because, yeah. yeah, I feel like that could definitely drive your kids away from what you want if you're going to put that much kind of pressure, that pressure on them to believe as you do or follow what you do. Yeah. And Tiffany and I are both very religious. Um, but we try and make it clear to our kids that we're going to love them and support them and uh, regardless of whether they end up staying in the religion or not. And that's important for them to be able to explore it and understand it on their own terms rather than through fear of disappointing their parents. Okay. So, uh, next question. I'm successful as a parent if my child achieves blank. So it could be anything. It could be uh, being a really good soccer player or being uh, getting into Ivy League school or getting a scholarship or getting a successful job. That kind of goes along with pretty much everything else we've talked about. Yeah. Anything extra to say about that, maybe? No. Maybe that we just stay away from that. Like, I don't want to even have that thought. Like, my kid is going to be successful if they do this. Like, I just want to stay away from that. Because then, yeah, I just feel like that that makes a, like, a dysfunctional relationship with my kid. <laughs> so if you had to, if you could tell your kid, this was what it means to be successful, what would you say? I, I can't say that, because I'll be, I'm so, you just made me totally emotional. <laughs> the Sorry thing everybody, that, but <laughs> Tiffany's very emotional. I'm really an emotional person, and I cry a lot, and you can ask any of my kids. Because um, things that are close to my heart make me cry, so sorry. And now I have a really weird sounding voice, which I really hate. So it's really hard to talk when I'm crying. I but nobody I, likes their voices, but I told her she didn't want to do this podcast first because she's worried about her voice. But I hate I told my her she voice. Never I, has wanna, to, I don't want to ever hear nobody this Nobody likes their voice. No, because no. I hate my voice. Except sounds, for Morgan Freeman, he likes his voice. <laughs> my voice sounds really weird. And it sounds even worse when I'm trying to hold back tears. Um, I think success is if my child is happy and loving other people. And, like, it doesn't have to be any kind of achievement of the world. I just want them to be good people, to care about others. And I really want them to be happy. I like that. So we want them to be happy. We want them to care about other people. And we want them to make the world a better place. Those are our big things, right? So. And if they don't do that, then we will not like my kids. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The idea is to like, love your kids, like your kids, 
regardless. And I think that gives them the, the freedom to learn those things from us, right? Uh, I want to bring up just a couple more things that sometimes I hear from, from my students from time to time. This one is, my child won't have mental health problems if I'm a good parent. What do you think about that idea? Do you think uh, that's a good idea to have? Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry for our children. Because mental health problems do not come from our parenting skills. <laughs> well, we, are, uh, we have some mental health genes in our gene pool, and so our kids have gotten them also. But... Does that mean we're bad parents? Um, I mean, no. it means I'm a good parent. I don't know about <laughs> you, but... Uh. Well, I don't think we can... We can't necessarily help our genes, but if we have genes that are going to give them extra challenges, which have given us extra challenges, the yeah. um, best thing we can do is, like, try and teach them how we deal with our challenges, maybe. So, yeah, I, sometimes I'll say to my kids, sorry that you got these genes, but don't forget, without these genes, you wouldn't be alive. So, you, <laughs> you get life, but there's, you know, a curse that goes with this also, uh, which is, you know, struggling with mental health. But, I think on the whole, being alive is still a good thing. So, yeah. Alright, so, do not be that parent who wants to not deny their kid mental health help because they want to ignore that they have these problems. I have students at school who say that their their, their parents don't want to believe that they have mental health problems. Sometimes because they feel like they've failed themselves. But the fact is, is you failed if you don't get them the help they need, not if they have those problems. It's like thinking if you're a doctor, thinking that my, I failed if my kids never get sick. That's dumb. Right? They're going to get sick. So the question is, are they going to get the help that they need? And the last one is, my child will be happy if I'm a good parent. That kind of goes along the same lines with mental health problems. Sometimes our kids are going to be happy, sometimes they aren't. Due to their genes or their environment or their choices. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you've done something wrong. Or... Maybe it doesn't mean we have to do something wrong. <laughs> it can mean that, right? If we do wrong things as a parent, then <laughs> our kids will probably be unhappy in some big ways. But if they are unhappy, you can't reverse engineer that and say that all kids, all parents with unhappy kids are bad parents either, right? Right. So there's just no way to judge that. There's no way to know that kind of thing. So, so I think the main thing is we try our best to provide a good environment for the kids and hopefully they find their way to happiness because can you necessarily give your child happiness like can we say i have happiness you i'm giving it to you right now so you've got it as well i wish i wish i could make my kids happy yeah that'd be my dream <laughs> i like to think of happiness as kind of as a quest and as a journey everybody has to find it on their own quest and we can give them a map to it show it to them even the quest itself is filled is wrought with peril. I like the word peril. But that do you know what I just said? Yeah. My dream is to make them happy. Well if they think like chocolate makes them happy and I give them chocolate, then what? Like that I'm always giving them what they want to try and make them happy. That's a bad parenting thing. Well let's talk about that for a second. So <laughs> I, so a lot of parents think that if I just give my kids what they want, then my kids will be happy. Right. Why so if I, or if I make their life easier. So what's wrong with that? Then, then my kids will be happy. 
Cause they because they do seem what, happier when we do that, right? Yeah, but that's not really what ha where happiness comes from. So if I give them everything, but they never learn how to work hard, then they go out into the world, then I fail them because then they don't know how to work and there's nobody to hand them things. So it'll give them immediate happiness, right? But yes. long-term, it'll hurt their long-term happiness. Yeah. And so a lot of times, um, giving our children happiness means making them less happy now. Like Spencer wanting to quit, not do piano lessons tomorrow. <laughs> Just because. It's his birthday. <laughs> yes. We know that learning to play the piano is going to make him happy in the long run, even if he doesn't always want to do it now. So... That's uh, uh again with that can you can I you always can... have trouble with that because like I really don't like when my kids are sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like oh maybe I just like yeah skip it but no 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 you have so, to strong. Well, it's easy to become a people pleaser as a parent because we think that makes our kids happy. But what's the problem with that? Well, they don't learn what they need to, right? Mm -hmm. Like for instance, um, uh, another time getting to the right segment on this one here. Which is that there's a, a false dichotomy. So we you got like different parenting philosophies. You've got the permissive style, which is if I give my kid what they want, then they'll be happy. And then they've got the opposite side, which is the authoritarian style, which is if I'm like the drill sergeant, then they'll learn everything they need to be so that they can be happy later. But both of those are a little bit problematic, right? Well, it's like having two extremes, right? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. You you can you uh, you can have high expectations of an authoritarian parent without the authoritarian style parenting. You can, uh, which is what we're gonna we talked about a little bit in the last two podcasts, and I'm gonna talk a little bit about more in the future. Which is how to be a um, a parent that has high expectations and teaches to those those expectations without being an authoritarian or being a permissive parent. So, right in the middle. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> Somewhere on the side? I don't know. So we'll talk a little bit more about... Uh, my next podcast, I'll talk a little bit more about how environment influences that as well, so we can get more deeper into that as well. But anything more you want to say about being the parent of six perfect children? <laughs> my poor children. <laughs> and me as a parent, but I try really, really hard. <laughs> Well, that's the important thing, right? Now, the other thing we want to talk about is not being a perfectionist as a parent because that can lead to authoritarian... It could either one of these things, actually. It could be as an authoritarian or permissive. And um, I actually have a video series on Encanto where we talk about how perfectionism among the parents can lead to conditional love of the kids and those kind of things as well. So I'll put a link to that as well. So... Okay. <coughs> thank you all for being part of our podcast again um thank you tiffany she was really nervous to come on here and she said if it doesn't work out you got to find someone else but i think you did amazing and i think it was perfect for this particular subject that we could talk about our kids and uh how amazing they are right kids those of you They're who are amazing. listening there's <coughs> one of my amazing kids and emmeline is coming down the stair right now so all right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, um, also, check out my website, jeffbrownsclassroom.com. You can find all kinds of resources that go along with this podcast and other things that go along with it as well.